Moncrief on News Talk. From the river to the sea, it's a highly contentious phrase, and especially now, it refers to the area of land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, which takes in the occupied West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and the State of Israel. Used in various contexts, it could be viewed as a call for equality in that part of the world or a call for the extinction of the State of Israel. This weekend, a British Labour MP was suspended for using it. Scott Lucas is Professor of International Politics at the UCD Clinton Institute. Good afternoon, Scott. Very good afternoon to you, good sir. Uh, As far as you can tell, where did it originate from? The slogan, Sean, begins in the 1960s as part of a Palestinian nationalist movement. Uh, you know, of course, about 20 years after the creation of the state of Israel. And from the river to the sea, you pointed out, uh, is from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, which was the old Palestinian mandate under British uh, rule Mm -hmm. before 1948. And so Palestinians are saying, we want this land back. You know, we want to be able to live on this land again. Many of us, in fact, hundreds of thousands of us were removed from this land. So originally, it can refer to a one-state solution, one nation, which is Palestine, which raises the question of, well, what about Israel? And what about the Jews? And that's where you get different meanings for different people. What makes it contentious today in 2023 is the group Hamas. So this group that we know so well from the last few weeks, in the late 1980s, adopts the phrase, and they use it to mean the elimination of the state of Israel. So, mm-hmm. and, and according to some people, they mean the removal, the forced removal of Jews from the area as well. Now, in 2023, there are a minority of people uh, in the protest we've seen in Ireland, in the UK, across the world, who have supported Hamas, even to the point of supporting the mass killing of Israeli civilians and foreign nationals on October 7th. But there are many people in those pro-Palestine protests who are using the phrase not to mean get rid of Jews, not even to mean get rid of the state of Israel, uh, but to say we should have a two-state solution where all Palestinians and all Israelis should be able to live in peace and security. Mm. Or indeed, uh, uh, my understanding too was that some people mean that in the context of a one-state solution, a far more tricky thing to, uh, to, to navigate, I would have thought, but that somehow that, that might be a solution to this. Yeah, and that's true from both sides. So mm. there are Palestinians who since the 1960s have said it's a state of Palestine, although Jews live within it. But the founding, the charter of the Likud party, which is the ruling party in Israel in 1977, calls for the land from the river to the sea, to be the state of Israel. So no Palestine, just simply the state of Israel, mm-hmm. although, there may, although there may be, there are in fact Arabs who live within it. So both sides have used it for a one-state solution. Some people, including the suspended uh, British MP you referred to, Annie MacDonald, use it to refer to a two-state approach, um, which is part of the conundrum we've had going back since the formation of the state of Israel in 1948. You have two peoples, coming from different backgrounds, on the same piece of land, do you have them in one state where they can coexist, or do you have to say, look, look, both people should be able to live there, but we need to do it through two states. That conundrum has not been solved, and of course, at times, we've had some groups on both sides who've exploited the failure to resolve that to turn to violence rather than discussion. Yeah. Uh, now, and, and uh, is it true that in some parts of the world... There's even consideration of of outlawing that phrase. So there has been consideration of of outlawing the phrase. And in fact, it's gone as far in recent weeks in Germany 
um, where the police in Berlin have said it may be a crime to use that phrase in demonstrations. Um, and Germany has, in fact, banned a series of pro-Palestinian protests on the grounds that it, you know, it, it, it basically it could be a danger to security in the current heated situation. However, uh, other countries have considered this and have gone the other way. So in 2021, in the Netherlands, Dutch prosecutors, at a time when there was great tension again between Israel and Gaza, uh, they said, no, the, the phrase is protected speech. You can say from the river to the sea, and you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily calling for the elimination of the Jews, so we're not going to prosecute. And in recent weeks, uh, in contrast to Germany, Austrian prosecutors have also said they are not going to prosecute over the use of the phrase. Again, uh, saying that there could be different interpretations of how the phrase is being used, that it's not necessarily hate speech. Mm. Uh, yeah, given the uh, some of the context is used in, I suppose the phrase in itself has become somewhat toxic. Well, yeah, and and again, I, I you know I can say that we can think of other conflicts in the recent past, including those closer to where I am now in the UK and closer to you in Ireland, where phrases can have different meanings depending on who says them and mm. who hears them. I think the important thing, at least for me, not just as an analyst but as you know an activist, is to say, look, who is the person saying it, and why are they saying it, and are they saying it to incite? Are they saying it to cause division, or are they actually saying it, look, as a manner of, of trying to get us to discuss and to find a way out of the current mess? And I have to say that um, there is a tendency in a conflict like this to say, my side, good, your side, bad. Mm. The more that we can see those in the protest, and I think the vast majority of those in the protest just honestly want to stop to the killing on both sides of the border, that's going to be the way forward rather than saying, if I use a phrase, it's good, but if you use a phrase, you're threatening me. Yes. I, for, for, um, I know, obviously, you're keeping a, a very close eye uh, on what's happening in Gaza. Do you have a, a sense of what Israel's exit strategy is? I do. And unfortunately, uh, you know, it's a nice day here in the UK and maybe nice in Ireland. I hate to bring you down a bit. The exit strategy now is, I think, after a lot of debate amongst the war cabinet, um, is to, quote, destroy Hamas, as Prime Minister Netanyahu has said, uh, without necessarily considering what happens after you destroy Hamas. And I think that means two things that we have to accept right now. The first is is that the commitment right now is simply to go in with uh, the expanded bombing, including uh, many areas which, whether, you know, simply because they're close to where Hamas may be, will get hit, and that includes hospitals. That includes the refugee camp where scores died in Jabalia last night. Mm. Um, and that that decision to carry out ground operations um, and to carry out the bombing means that the simultaneously opening of the crossing from Egypt today uh, to allow a very limited amount of humanitarian aid, to allow a small group of people to leave, that's a token gesture. What I have to say to you right now is that the Israeli leadership has made the decision that their priority is to go after Hamas, to try to remove it as a force, and civilians, and indeed even more than 240 hostages in Gaza right now, they're expendable in the course of trying to do that. Surely one would have thought that if you, if in the attempt, as we saw in the, the refugee camp, to kill one person, you kill 50 others, uh, every single family member of those 50 people is now thinking, if they're not already a member of Hamas, might become one in the near future. Absolutely right. But I think 
um, that isn't necessarily a consideration that is 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 hitting home with the Israeli leadership. Because let's be honest with you, the Israeli the first thing I think I need to say this quite clearly, trying to put this out there. Much of the international community went to the Israelis and said. Hamas crossed the line on October 7th because they killed more than a 1,000 Israeli civilians and foreign nationals, mm. and that it is no longer acceptable for Hamas to remain in power. But the international community also said to the Israelis, and a lot of other people said to, to the Israeli leadership, how are you going to do that? Let's talk about how you're going to do that in terms of political means, economic means, and military means. And people said, look, it's, it's going to have to be a process where you isolate Hamas, you isolate Iran behind it, and let's try to do that. And at the end of the day, after weeks of discussions, the Israeli leadership has rejected that. They've decided that somehow you can destroy Hamas. And I just have to tell you, I'm skeptical of doing that. In the early 1980s, Sean, you might remember that the Israelis went into Lebanon mm-hmm. to try to destroy groups that would later become Hezbollah. They got bogged down in Beirut. They failed. And the armed uh, factions uh, committed to destroying Israel became stronger because of that. The Israelis went again into Lebanon in 1996 to try to get rid of Hezbollah and failed. They went into Lebanon in 2006 to get rid of Hezbollah and failed. They went after Hamas in 2008, 2014, 2021. They've blockaded Gaza for 16 years, and guess what? Hamas is even stronger, because I'm going to put this point to you. There are two alternatives that you have. You can either go the option of trying to, quote, destroy Hamas, or you can go the option of putting humanitarian aid to help civilians, the civilians who are dying, the civilians who are under threat, not by the thousands, not by the tens of thousands, by the hundreds of thousands. You could put that humanitarian aid in there and perhaps separate those civilians from Hamas. But if you go in and just simply bomb and carry out a ground offensive, those civilians will see Hamas as their only protector. They have no alternative. So which path do you choose? You mentioned Hezbollah there and and. There are various other groups that are, are uh, helped to a greater or lesser extent by Iran. Do you see this spreading, this conflict? I don't see it deliberately spreading in the sense that even though I think the Iranians knew that Hamas would attack at some point, they didn't know the specifics of when, and I think they were taken aback by the large number of civilians that were killed. I think the um, Iranian regime um, knows that if this war spreads, uh, they may not come well, come out well out of it. They've got some very serious political and economic problems at home, and many of their people do not even want the Iranian regime to continue supporting Hamas. Uh, Hezbollah, which is on the northern border with Israel and which is involved in skirmishes with the Israelis, they could try to start another front in the war, but they're in a very tenuous situation in a country, Lebanon, which is almost a basket case right now. Mm. Um, The Houthis in Yemen, this insurgency that have taken control of the capital and are lobbing missiles right now at Israel, which have been intercepted so far, they could try to stir up trouble, but I don't think they want an all-out war given the absolute disaster in Yemen um, over the past decade. But that's not how wars spread. Wars start quite often, Sean, because you have pinprick operations. Someone just wants to stir up a little bit of trouble, keep someone else on the defensive, And then the other side says, well, we'll carry out our own little pinprick operations. And you have skirmishes and you clashes, and then they get more intense. So what we've seen in the past couple of weeks is, for example, that Iranian-led militias in Iraq and Syria have carried out more than 20 attacks on uh, bases with U.S. personnel uh, in Iraq and in Syria. Now, so far, only one American has died. He died of a heart attack, and 21 were lightly injured. 
But imagine if one of those operations killed dozens of Americans mm. because a rocket or a drone just happened <laughs> to, to hit in a way that it caused maximum casualties. Uh, just imagine if the Americans, in fact, who did strike a couple of Iranian positions in Syria last week had wound up killing dozens of Iranians. You could say the same thing. What happens if all of a sudden you get dozens or hundreds of people get killed between Hezbollah and Israel? Then it kicks off. So I don't think we're looking at a, an expanded regional war by design, uh, but I do think that it's of concern that until you get some type of space and some type of de-escalation in Gaza, there is always the potential that uh, this that simply other areas which are connected, everyone in the Middle East is connected, other areas will descend into violence as well. Yeah, and well, and particularly the West Bank as well. One would have thought uh, Fatah isn't exactly popular there at the moment. They haven't had an election in 15 years odd. Um, that Could that escalate? It already has escalated. Mm. I, mean, I mean, more than 100 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank since October the 7th. Um, and, you know, the Israeli forces, of course, are occupying forces. There's always been tension in the West Bank. There's always been violence in the West Bank, and that has, for reasons you can guess easily, has, has increased, given the the anger of people in the West Bank at what's happening in Gaza. Uh, I think the interesting part of your question is, is that what accompanies that violence in the West Bank is also a very difficult political question. And that is, um, you would hope that there would be an alternative to Hamas in Gaza. That's why you want to put the humanitarian aid in there, to try to find that alternative. Mm. The problem is that the Palestinian Authority, led by a very old man named Mahmoud Abbas, who is actually not liked by many of the people in the West Bank, that many of the leaders of the Palestinian Authority are seen as being, I'll use a polite phrase, economically suspect in terms of how they use funds, Uh, that uh, in some parts of the West Bank, Hamas is even more popular than Fatah. So you have got a fundamental question which concerns all of us, which is how can you find and work with Palestinian groups who are committed not only to getting a Palestinian state, but getting a Palestinian state where you have proper governance, where you have a proper accountability, um, where you provide for services for your people. But we're not going to get to that question about getting a proper Palestinian authority uh, until you get away from the current position we're in, which is, and I hate to use this phrase, it's one from Vietnam, kill them all and let God sort them out. Yeah. Scott, thanks a million for uh, uh, speaking with us today. That was uh, Scott Lucas there uh, from uh, the Professor of International Politics at the UCD Clinton Clinton Institute. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.